Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Oh, yes. Welcome to Opera Box Score. Wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks for putting America's Talk Radio Show about opera into your ears. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-host Tobias Wright. We are live in studio on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. We are streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. And uh, we are available as a podcast on iTunes. 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. Call us. You get to sound off live on air with your own opera hot takes. 847-866-9687. All right. If you've never heard a Heldon tenor with a good old boy East Texas accent, you haven't lived. Tonight, we go inside the huddle with tenor Jay Hunter Morris. He's currently rehearsing Jay Keggy's opera Moby Dick at the Dallas Opera. We talk cowboys, cubs, and opera careers just 30 minutes from now. But first, Toby and I do a mid-season check-in on what's happened in opera land so far this fall. Oliver plays Monday evening quarterback on the production of Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermore at Lyric Opera of Chicago. And, of course, you get all your opera headlines in the two-minute drill. He takes, he turns, he gives... This show is loaded. Tobias Wright, what's up, buddy? Uh, not much, Church. How are you? Dude, you just got back from a vacation. It's beautiful to see you. Also, everyone who's listening, thank you for putting us in your ear holes. We're happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the next hour. Uh, yeah, I spent the weekend uh, at my sister's in Delaware. Beautiful, because yeah. you're an uncle now. Okay, well, this is her second child, so I was already an uncle. Who, who went with you? Uh, my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy and daughter. She did such a great job. I'm so proud of her. Was, she, she, was it a first time flying? Uh, no, no. She'd flown before, but some years ago. Okay. Uh, she did really well. You just gave her a couple Xanax, didn't you? And then I like a shot. Oh, man. I'm George. hearing chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm kidding. No, George would never do that to his child. No. His children. I, I would give her natural. I would give her natural drugs. Uh, hey, so <laughs> Bears lose, Chiefs win. I feel like we've said this before. Yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> what a great recurring thing to have. Okay. For those who don't know, I'm I'm from Kansas. <clears throat> and I am a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. And uh, so that means that I've lived a life of rooting for horrible sports teams because I'm a Chiefs fan and a Royals fan and a Kansas football fan. Right. All my teams always lose. So anytime they win or have a great season, a great season being anything above 500. I Those are pretty low expectations. I know, man. So when it happens, like when the Royals <laughs> won the World Series last year, I just cried like a baby. And I was at a gig and people were like, what's wrong with this guy? And I was, I was just crying. And I had to call. I was like, I got to call my dad. <laughs> That's awesome that the first person you call would be the dad. Because we'll get to the Cubs at the second half of the show. If the Cubs win the World <laughs> Series, the first person I would call would be my dad. Of course. I mean, it's the person. I mean, my, without my dad, I wouldn't be a sports fan. I mean, I'd probably be a sports fan. But, you know, he he kind of was like, I love sports. It's okay to love sports. It's okay to play sports. This Bears team is just plain dreadful. Well, it still has Jay Cutler on the roster, so... Yeah. As long as that is the case. Why don't the Bears understand that they're never going to go anywhere as long as Cutler is around? Well, they have, they, I mean, they benched him and now they're playing a guy who was a backup for a reason. No offense to Hoyer. I mean, whatever. But yeah, the Bears are, someday they'll be great. So, well, I, not this year. <laughs> I, I feel like we Those, should. The games at Soldier Field are going to be so miserable at the end of December when it's freezing cold <laughs> and the Bears are like 2 and 14 or whatever. Oh my God. So, so the, you know. More wins from the Cubbies postseason <laughs> yeah. than Bears in the regular season, right? That could be. Could oh, be. my gosh. That could be. Oh, that's sad to think about. <laughs> Let's do some opera. Let's do it. Chalk Talk. 
on Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist and Tobias Wright. Oh, yeah. So um, we're here. We are halfway through the college football season. Mm. Opera Box Score, by the way, on WNUR, George Cedarquist with Tobias Wright. Number in the studio, 847-866-WNUR. Give us a shout. Uh, halfway through the season, coaches check in with their teams, with their players, uh, make some adjustments, right. take stock. We are, I feel like, we're halfway through the fall mm-hmm. opera season at this point. Uh, according to Opera Base, which is where I always love to get my stats, we've had from September 1st to today, October 17th, 163 performances of 49 different productions in 33 cities in this country. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't. It's, know if, it's it's actually a, a smaller number than I would yeah, have thought. Yeah, smaller, but it's awesome that someone out there <laughs> took track of that. I mean, kept track of that. Um, yeah. So okay. What kind of adjustments would you want to make at this point? You know, what are some opera houses that you feel mm. need to mix it up a little bit? Some singers who uh, haven't performed up to expectations, mm-hmm. or who do you think is really doing the right thing so far in these opening six weeks of the season? Well, you know, because it's kind of the home team. Uh, I'll talk about Lyric, and Lyric so far has opened two shows. They opened with Das Rheingold, and then they have Lucia de Lammermoor, and we're going to talk about Lucia uh, later in the show. Um, But what I like so far um, is the creativity. If you read the reviews or if you've seen the shows, and I, I like I said, I've only seen Rangold, but the creativity, they're kind of stepping out of the box. New productions, and what I loved so much is that the Rheingold production and we covered it last week, but it was such a departure from a standard ring cycle. Right. And they really asked their patrons, who were paying a lot of money to come see these shows, they really asked them f- to say, hey, we're going to tell you a story. Suspend your belief for a little bit. Like, just have an imagination for a second for And this. you know I didn't dig that. Oh, obviously. I know you hated it, but I loved it because yeah. it was different. And it didn't change the music. The music was still Wagner, and mm-hmm. it was so well sung. So I think mm-hmm. the lyric going forward, for my taste, and obviously I'm not running that place, yeah. but... Going forward, I love the fact that they are going to be creative, and I hope that that continues, especially with the rest of the ring cycle, without being gimmicky. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Tell me yours, George. Uh, Here's who I think needs to make an adjustment, and it's the Metropolitan Opera. Ah, you know those big boys, the the big kids, ah, the big kids in New York City. Exactly, huh? exactly. I'm gonna kick the boots. <laughs> it's while it's true that Tristan and Isolde by Wagner was the season opener, and that was a new production mm-hmm. directed by Marius Trilinski. The next three shows that were up: Don Giovanni by Mozart, yes, La Boheme by Puccini, and uh, L'Italiana in Algeria. Great shows, but very boring productions. Old productions. Old productions. What, what is the Bohem production? Also, I feel like I'm screaming into my microphone. Sorry if people are bleeding right now. You're fine. Um, uh, the the Bohem is is like a standard sort of like cafe mumus and fake snow falling. Moose, moose, and I moose, I don't. Moose. I should have looked up. I don't know if it's exactly it's the old um, Zeffirelli Zeffirelli no. thing. Actually, I can do that right now. It is the Zeffirelli. Yeah. I mean, okay, so. Uh, it's one of those deals. Th- those are all pretty standard rep. Anybody who updates, I feel like Don Giovanni is going to miss the point. Um, updating Boam or doing uh, okay, I can see a new production there. Um, but you want you want exactly what I'm cheering, praising, delirious. I know. Huh? Uh, that's that, and I think the Met has to set the standard. I really do. What's your favorite show you've ever seen at the Met? Uh, it was probably the La Traviata. Okay, when was that? that? I saw a couple years ago. It was with this simple, beautiful white set with like a curved wall 
and this enormous clock that was oh, on the floor. Wait, like like what they did at the the with like Anna, uh, Anna Trebko and Orlando Villazon a couple of years ago. Uh, <gasps> where did somebody month. call me and tell me where that happened? Yeah. It's like 2005. I, I don't know, yeah, this was more recent than that. Uh, but they also had this awesome character. I don't think he ever spoke. It was a guy in this long trench coat who was just the representation of death. Oh, that's kind of cool. And he never left the stage. And I'm going to steal that idea for um, our town. Oh. When we do it in May. No, what George is saying is that he and I are going to own a town. <laughs> Toby, we're going to have a man in, in a dark in a dark uh, cloak who just represents death <laughs> at every corner. <laughs> what about for your own career? What kind of adjustments you, do you, are you looking to make this fall? I mean, because, you know, you and I, were, you're a working singer, Toby. I'm a working mm-hmm. director. Mm-hmm. We're in the trenches, you yeah. know, and we're trying to make this work as best we can. We have successes. We have struggles. For sure. We need to make adjustments. What's your adjustment? You know, I think for me, and we're getting into audition season, and I've already done a few auditions, and some successfully already, which is hugely encouraging because I get to go forward with uh, some momentum, so to speak. But I think for me, the biggest thing that I'm working on is my artistry um, and really approaching music from a standpoint of not being worried about learning it anymore because that kind of used to be it as a young singer it's like ah crap i gotta learn these notes i gotta learn that rhythm Mm -hmm. and you're so engrossed in that that you forget that also oh man i get to be an artist i or at least i have the ability um and so my biggest thing now is i know how to learn notes and i know how to to sing for the most part the notes that i'm learning and there's some adjustments and and i need help with that i need coachings and, and voice lessons even though I don't do them all the time because I'm poor. But um, my goal is to just grow as much as I can as an artist so that every time I show up to a rehearsal or a new gig or a new show that I'm only going to get better from the Mm -hmm. get-go as the character and as a colleague. And that's a huge another part. I want to be the best colleague I can be. And I try to, being a good artist and my preparation beforehand and putting that time in is only going to help me be a better colleague for the people that I'm working with. Couldn't agree so, with you more. Yeah, that's my goal. Go. You, well, I was you. just going to say, Laura Lee Everett, old friend of mine, who is kind of the second in command at Opera America, which is the umbrella organization for opera in this country. Laura Lee does workshops and master classes all around the U.S. with young singers, emerging artists. And at the end of her master classes, and I've observed a couple of them, she says the same thing every time. There's only two rules in this business. First one's be prepared. Mm-hmm. That checks in, Toby, with what you're saying about knowing the notes. Second thing, be a good colleague. Yeah. Know your music. Be a good colleague. It's crazy. How many, it's crazy, though. How many people miss that? It's amazing. You know, it, even directors. Um, yeah. It's no one is immune. Yeah. No one is immune to that. And I just think it goes back. And this is kind of how I live life. If anybody listens and knows me, you know that I'm kind of a big puppy dog. But like, love simply. Yeah. And be a great colleague simply. You know what I mean? Here's what I've struggled with is uh, I'm producing a show right now. Okay. Uh, so which, Ch- Chicago Fringe Opera. I was going to ask. Can you speak about uh, it? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, which, which is uh, the company that I'm the artistic director of. We have a show coming up later this month called Song from the Uproar. And we'll work it out Missy on the Mazzoli. show. Missy Mazzoli. Missy Mazzoli. Yeah, exactly. I think in maybe two shows time we'll mm-hmm. do a little uh, preview of it. Uh, but I'm not directing the show. It's the first show at the company that I haven't directed and I'm, I've always advocated that other people should direct at the company, but I'm producing it and producing it is such a different beast. And I'm really having to wrap my head around that. As I explained to my mother who asked like, so what does a yeah, producer do? I was, was going to say for those. Yeah. What, what does a producer do? Instead Basically of a it's not an artistic position. So my job is to make sure that every other department from the singers to the director, the music staff, 
scenic designer, costume designer, lighting designer, marketing, press, publicity, that they're all doing their jobs, that they're moving forward, does and it make they're you, all talking to each other. Does it make you miss being a director? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, because like, you don't have to worry about it. I don't want to do this you know? anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you, suddenly you're, you have everybody's plate in front of you. You kind of you. I mean, yeah. you're the go-to person. If there's mm-hmm. any problem, you basically spend your entire day answering emails and putting out fires. Ugh. And that sounds awful. I've never been like, I mean, obviously I use email. I to just struggle learning 30 second notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just constantly putting fire. It's a phenomenal amount of work. Yeah. Worth it? Uh, it's worth it because. Because your hands are all over that project. Because it has taught me how to behave. Mm-hmm. Talk about being a good colleague. How to behave better as a director. Right. How to be more prepared. We just talked about how to be prepared. How to treat people even better so that I can cause fewer fires as a director to my producer. Fair. Well, and you know what? I don't like what I just said because it makes you... Yeah, your hands are all over the project. Mm-hmm. But it's more that you're collaborating with more people. Yeah. Um, which I think is a really unique opportunity because I, I happen to like you a little bit i think you're an okay guy and i think with the way that you handle personal relationships um that's got to be really awesome for the people to know that they can go to you and they're going to have some i mean it's just a huge collaboration they, and I think they know that it's going to know be it's, it's going to be taken care of in a way that's fair and i think that's huge for you so I, I can't even imagine though doing that I would just I would put like that automatic reply email thing on and be like, sorry, I'll be back next week. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with money too, and I've had some sleepless nights about the money as well, just like how to pay for the whole thing, mm. basically. So here at uh, Opera Box Score, we're gonna set up a GoFundMe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, for the show. No. It is Opera Box Score on WNUR. George Cedarquist with Tobias Wright. Number in the studio eight four seven. 866-WNUR. Also on Twitter, at Opera Box Score. Use the hashtag Opera Balls. Opera Balls. We'll be right back. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. You did this weekend. Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. My name is Ruth Rusi. And this is how I live United. I read to children as part of United Way's education program. It helps them create links between language and literacy and prepares them for a better academic future. I figure I have the time and they have the need. My name is Ruth Rusi. I help kids prepare to succeed in school. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. I'm in almost every school bus in classroom. You see me around the neighborhood, and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me. We are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Opera Class, Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist. 
Oliver Camacho. Oh, yes, and Tobias. Who made the grade? Here's Monday evening quarterback. <laughs> Thanks for the intro, Norm. <laughs> I love that. It, it's I giggle every time. Oh, yeah, and that one guy. Because you uh, forgot me one time, Norm. Opera box score on WNUR. 847-866-9687. Give us a ring in the studio. Let us know what you're wrestling with this season so far. Let us know what adjustments need to be made. George, something I wanted to share that I didn't share last week. Go on. Enough. I just wanted to wish you um, a happy <laughs> birthday. Happy. I, I'm now like 55. <laughs> happy, happy 51st in, in birthday. Toby years. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver Camacho is doing uh, Monday evening quarterback for us this week. He Oliver out, uh, Lucia di Lammermoor by Donizetti at Lyric Opera of Chicago. I'm not going to tell you what he says in the interview. Obviously, I don't want to spoil the surprise. Mm. Uh, and he runs down the whole roster, and it is quite a roster on this for, production for Lucia. For this Lucia, yes, yes. Albina yeah. Shagimuratova, Shagimuratova singing Lucia. Mm. Uh, and Peter Bachawa mm-hmm. singing Edgardo. A huge name to bring at the, I mean, to be at the Lyric. I mean, we get huge names at the Lyric all the time, but as a tenor, yeah. to have another superstar tenor, I say another, excuse me, to have a superstar tenor, like, I'm stoked to go see I it. I do love this show. I, I When I was an assistant director in Germany, Drink. I did it. And when I observed at the Met, I did Drink. it. Drink. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's very near and dear to my heart. There's an awesome production at the Royal Opera House directed by... Katie Mitchell, and I thought that was the production coming to Chicago. I was wrong. It's not. And so that was a bummer. So but we'll see what Oliver has to say. Tell, about me, the whole thing. tell me, Oliver. That was Albina Shagimuratova uh, in a live performance from the International Cherezhnevi Less Open Art Festival uh, singing the cadenza from the mad scene of Lucia. Uh, Albina Shagimuratova is the current star of our production of Lucia de Lamamor here in Chicago, Lyric Opera. In his program note, uh, stage director Graham Vick tells the audience that he originally directed the current production uh, of Lucia for the soprano, the Italian soprano Mariella de Villa. And he mentions how he approached this work as if it were a late classical, more like an 18th century work rather than a uh, melodrama italiana. And in a way, he's trying to restore some of the 18th century uh, politics and aesthetic, one would say. And I agree. I do think that Lucia uh, can easily be interpreted that way. 
but I also really cherish the music of the 18th century and I take its performance very seriously and I respect it. Um, and I get the sense that maybe Mr. Vic doesn't so much or the person who, uh, you know, revised this production for him didn't really understand the concept that well. I'm not sure, but um, this show has amazing singing in it generally, but uh, it's not much to look at, unfortunately. Um, as far as set design goes, there are these bizarre sliding walls. They're, they look like they're cement. They're painted that way. And they kind of uh, frame the minimal set design uh, in various ways that are very photogenic and, uh, you know, really capture beautiful scenes. But it doesn't really make a lot of sense for the action. Um, there's a tree. There's a moon. There's some grass that looks like a, they're supposed to be in, uh, you know, outdoors. And um, it's just strange. And uh, these walls sort of make for very awkward entrances for crowd scenes. And so when the crowds, you know, come rushing in, they kind of have to file into this little space. And it, it really doesn't make any sense. Um, but the costumes are beautiful. I have to say, um, the costume designer also happens to be <laughs> the set designer, uh, Paul Brown. And congratulations for outstanding costumes. They're a little bit stiff. They need to be, you know worn a little bit longer but uh they really do look beautiful and they're highly detailed um so crowd scenes were kind of a problem for me uh there isn't a lot of motivation in what the crowds are doing and there doesn't seem to be much of a sense of hierarchy and uh this is particularly evident in the mad scene when you know, lucia is you know ostensibly going to hurt herself or hurt other people and they all just kind of stand there uh expressionless same thing happens in the wedding scene uh, when Edgardo and uh, Lucia's brother are fighting. Um, <laughs> nobody seems to care. And there's like swords being brandished and there's, you know, a sword fight between uh, the brother and the husband Arturo and um, Edgardo. And it all it looks, I don't know, like Monty Python or something like that really disappointing staging but um the wedding scene is rescued by the amazing and handsome and beautiful of voice jonathan johnson who sings arturo poor guy he comes out looking so so brilliant in a all-white uh, 18th century ray rococo outfit he looked like octavian about to deliver the rose but uh, as i said this scene became a little bit silly because of the sword play and the lack of uh, reaction from the audience. Um, nobody seemed to care that there was going to be like bloodshed, uh, least of all the bride. So that's my disappointment with this show. As far as the singing goes, uh, Quinn Kelsey as the brother Enrico and uh, Adrian Sampetrian as Raimondo were fantastic. Uh, Quinn Kelsey... Uh, was very uh, savage on stage and he looked like an alcoholic and there was even some coarseness in the voice which I'm not sure was intentional or not but it worked and uh, Quinn Kelsey has amazing and very easy high notes and then the Adrian Sampetrian as Raimondo was very noble and serious and it worked perfectly uh, he sings very healthily and he has a very kind of burnished but you know lightly burnished tone perfect for however old he is he looks like he's quite young but uh he sounds great then we have albina shagimirotova 
this is this is hard. Uh, I may sound like a total jerk. Uh, I love this opera so much, and I want people to come to this show for the first time they're seeing it and really fall in love with this piece the way I have. But I've also spoiled myself by listening to, you know, Maria Callas and even Beverly Sills. And some might even say young Natalie Desai, uh, Mariela de Villa, for sure, Anna Mofo. So many great interpretations. June Anderson, people with ideas, people with the technique and people with beautiful voices, but with their own stamp on it. And uh, Shagimirotova sings brilliantly. Her E flats are stunning, uh, but it seems to be a lot of work for her. Uh, it, she gets a little breathless. She takes a lot of time. The some of the coloratura is a little bit um, difficult, and her timing seems to be off with the conductor. Maybe it was the first night. Maybe just shaking off the jitters. I'm sure she sung this all over the place, uh, and she sounds amazing. So I'm a jerk, but uh, that was my problem with it. After the show was over, I just wanted to get into my car and listen to Maria Callas sing because I just wanted some artistry. Oof, I'm sorry. The star of the night is clearly the Polish tenor Piotr Bachawa. Uh, I was very excited to hear this man sing, and he did not disappoint. Uh, his tone is very beautiful and penetrating and he looks great on stage and he seems to really get into the passion and he's like acting his heart out and uh, he looks devastated by everything that's happening to him and i feel like he was cheated out of a, a production to really serve what he was doing but if you close your eyes you're going to enjoy this show uh, let's listen to a little bit of piotr bachawa singing the uh, the tomb scene uh, the final the finale of this opera this is from a live recording in 2012. <laughs> Finally, I want to give props to Maestro Enrique Mazzola. Uh, he was extremely attentive and energetic and uh, dynamic, and often he was more interesting to watch than what was happening on stage. Handsome guy, Maestro Mazzola, you have a fan here in Chicago. Uh, I am still recommending that you check out Lucida Lamamore. Uh, I think the singing of Piotr Bachawa is definitely worth it. Uh, the cast, I said, is very strong, and Jonathan Johnson in all white is such a delight for the eyes. You have to see it just for that. Uh, so that's it. That's my my Monday evening quarterback. No letter grades. Sorry about that, George. Back to you in the studio. Thanks, Oliver. You don't have to apologize for no letter grades. He's basically saying B is what he said. I think he did call it a B. Yeah. Maybe, like, but not a B plus. I, maybe enough. I don't know. It is a good cast, and uh, Shagimurtova and Kelsey and, and Bachawa 
those are singers that sing it oh, the world you. over, you know. And yeah. and you never know, especially on an opening night. Uh, rehearsal schedules are really interesting for, especially you know, these are international opera stars. Mm-hmm. It's not like they've been in Chicago for a month doing rehearsals. It's like they probably finished a show two weeks ago, showed up, and you know, it's so it's hard to, for a production to be as active maybe um with the staging sometimes especially when you get into the meat and which we are of the season of the opera season you know when you listen to Bachawa singing in that mm-hmm. second clip that oliver provided like what are you hearing i mean you're having fits over here in the studio fits of joy yeah well it, to me that's just full-throated pure passionate singing and when you hear that you know you're hearing that and it's kind of interesting that was a recording from 2012 and if you know Bachao and you followed him he's only gotten better mm. it's actually pretty remarkable um because he's been good for so long but there was a time where i thought he sang so wide open and you hear what the way he was saying that that hoop scene is he had a little bit of that we've talked about the tenor moan where he had so much pressure there <laughs> trying to get up there the you know whatever and and you hear that but you also know when an actor is doing that there's an uh, there's an effect happening dramatically yeah so he's sold out he sold out completely to that performance and oh my god isn't that all we ever want from a performer yeah, yeah like, I kind of like him. It's a man crush. We want them to leave it all on the field, my, whether my they're man. sports players or whether they're singers. You know? Yeah, of course. And I love when somebody just goes. And there has to be, as a singer, um, a little bit of uh, you kind of have to have some in reserve. Otherwise, you, you you lose it. You lose your jewels, so to speak. Um, but, man, he goes. And he sings so well. So I can't wait to go see the show, um, honestly because he's in it. Oliver Camacho checking in from Lyric Opera of Chicago with the production of Lucia de la Mermore. Opera box score is what's happening right now. George Searquist with Tobias Wright. We're back in one second with Inside the Huddle. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you say an opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of in-depth analysis, outrageous opinions, and good, clean fun. You might even learn something. Opera class, sports radio crass. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Opera Box Score here on WNUR on Twitter. It's at Opera Box Score. Use the hashtag Opera Balls. George Cedarquist with Tobias Wright. I'm here. And for those who are confused about the Opera Balls thing, it's because we talk about opera, but we also talk about sports. Thank you. So exactly. So someone else said and so- discussion. Yeah, someone else said something different to me, and I was like, "Oh, grow up!" Uh, yeah, grow up. We're talking about sports here, opera, <laughs> opera, and balls. Jay Hunter Morris Jay. is a tenor, Heldon tenor from East Texas. He's from Paris, Texas. I had a chance to talk with him on the phone. Uh, if you have not been to our website operaboxscore.com you need to go there now so you can get to his website, mm-hmm. which is jhuntermorris.com. Go, well, all I was going to say is, really, go check out this website. It is worth your time. If you are a singer, if you're a director, if you're a friend of ours, just go read this man's website because it is not just a bio that you get. Um, if you click on the tab on the top and it says intro, 
um, you're going to get it's <laughs> it's so wonderful. It's a testimony. Yeah, it's a testimony. It's like an open letter as to like why he's in this yeah. business. It's nothing to do with where he's performed really or big names or mm-hmm. anything like that. It's like this is why I do this. I asked him a similar question in the interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's your take though, Toby? Uh, on this on this approach on this letter to this we- on the website well what it gives you is an insight into the human um <laughs> and he doesn't tell you that he sings uh it doesn't list every role that he's done and it doesn't tell you that he once sang with a small symphony in the middle of nebraska and whatever it, it's all about the human and i love that it already it takes down uh the veil and it says hey th- part of my life is that i go on a stage and i sing a lot of the other parts of my life aren't that, but that part's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm just going to share because I think this is wonderful and I'm a weirdo. And if I ever get to where I launch my website, relaunch, mm-hmm. it's going to be something like this now yeah. that I've seen it done. But I'm just going to share. Give us a, just a taste. A taste. He goes, I don't have one of those voices, you know, where I can just open up and be glorious. But, and listen to this, young singers, but. I am stubborn and I'm persistent. And one of these days, just maybe, I will. I'm most certainly not famous, but I've been on stage with a few famous people and I watch them very closely and I'm encouraged. For they are not so different from you and me. They make mistakes, they have bad nights, and they get sick and nervous. They have their rituals, their quirks, but with few exceptions, they try really hard to do their best. And I mean, like, that's what it's about, man. And I just, anyway, please go to jhuntermorris.com. Actually, let's reverse that, strike that. Opera box score dot squarespace.com go to our website and then find jay's read this bio because it's so much more than what i just shared with you um and it's worth the five minutes that it takes to read it here's what jay had to say to me jay hunter morris joining us on opera box score hey jay really appreciate the time thanks for being on the show my pleasure george all right let's start with the important stuff the dallas cowboys dak prescott is the starting quarterback for the team but tony romo was always this franchise's quarterback should he not just get the job back once he gets healthy or is it really dak prescott's at this point i think he won it yesterday you know even when tony's healthy it's it's sometimes a bit of a question mark but uh you know what's the rush you know, I, 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 to me, it feels like he should wait and get himself really strong, and we're, we're in good shape right now without him. All right, Jay, you're a good old boy from Paris, Texas. You probably grew up living and breathing football. Who's your college football team? Baylor. I went to Baylor as an undergrad. Um, so, you know, they've, they've had a couple of they had a pretty good run the last few years, don't you think? I do think they've had a pretty good run of it, no question. Unfortunately, that uh, sexual abuse scandal has really destroyed that program, and it'll be interesting to see how they can recover. All right, let's get on to some of the opera stuff. On your website's welcome page, you've written, in my opinion, one of the most humble and insightful essays on how this opera business works. And look, you don't shy away from how hard it is. So what is it that drives you to keep fighting? You know what? I, I love it. I love this art form. I love the theatricality. I love working with, you know, incredible musicians. I get to sing with some of the great orchestras, some of the great conductors and singers in the world. So, first of all, it's just, it's pleasure. I just, I really dig, I really dig opera. And I have, I saw uh, La Traviata when I was younger and just thought, how do they do this? How this lady is laying on her back and and it's a 3,000 seat house and no microphone and 
So I have, since that day, uh, a real fascination with the vocal technique of how people are able to, in a very beautiful way, hopefully, project their voices um, over big orchestras and, you know, with no microphone. And I want to do it well. Um, and so, you know, that's that. in truth, that's the real driving force. I've always said, once I figure it out, once I've mastered this vocal technique and I feel like I'm doing it really um, to, to my fullest potential, then maybe I'll do something else. But it's the pursuit of, of a good technique that has driven me now for 28 years, I guess. And it's, you know, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm still, I feel like I'm getting close to... Um, to doing my best singing, hopefully in the next couple of years. All right. So you've done Wagner rep all around the world. Last week, our show was entirely about Wagner. You've done Flying Dutchman, Tristan, The Ring Cycle. What's the most difficult part of that rep for a singer to pull off? Siegfried, no doubt, uh, to, to me. For me, um, the Siegfried forging scene in Act One is just, it's all, uh, you know, it is full out takes everything I've got physically. I mean, look, it's not just the singing, but it's also, you know, portraying a 17-year-old demigod. You know, you have to physically become a different character. And so moving and acting and, um, you know, even standing and sitting like a young, really strong person is is a big challenge. You, you put on that an enormous orchestra playing, you know, fully, um, and it's it's a lot of big high notes, man. So um, it's thrilling when it goes well. It is terrifying when it's when it's very difficult and when it's a real struggle. But um, you know, therefore, it, it is sort of the most rewarding part that I get to do. And when you're done singing a role like that, and you get off stage, are you just totally wiped out? Like they put you onto an IV man or what? They put me on an IV and wheeled me out. Yes, it's true. I'll tell you, the first time I did Siegfried after after opening night, it was actually in San Francisco. And I I remember I went back to my apartment and I ran a hot bath and poured in Epsom salts and I got a, I hovered over it and I thought, you know what? I will not be able to get out. I will have to call for help if I get in this bathroom. I am so depleted. And I was there by myself, so I just drained it. It is completely debilitating because uh, it takes so much vocally and physically. And, you know, look, it takes a lot out of the audience, too, man. Sitting there for five hours is a big challenge. So, you know, it's it's a big bite. Wagner is, uh, you know, it's so rewarding when it's, when it's really good. It's worth it for the audience and the performers. And, uh, you know, I can't wait till I get to do it again. All right. So I'm talking to you. You're in Dallas. You're rehearsing Moby Dick, the opera by Jake Heggie. Uh, you're singing Captain Ahab, and this is the third time that you've done this part. So what remains attractive to you about this role and about this show? Uh, you know, my biggest attraction to this opera is the, the work that Jake Heggie and Gene Shear have done, and Lenny, the director. Look, this is a fantastic piece of theater. And the more I hear it and the more I'm around it, the more I get to know it, I am so impressed and I'm so moved by what these two men have written. Um, now, on top of that, 
You know, I have the uh, the great fortune to portray one of the greatest known uh, characters in all of literature. You know, everybody knows Ahab, uh, almost. Um, you know, they have some idea of who he is and what he looks like and how he sounds and how he should carry himself. So it's a lot of pressure to play someone who is so well drawn in the book. Um, his character is so so beautifully defined by Melville. So it's a, you know, stepping into that peg leg and uh, putting on that coat and that cane, it's a, it's a really big um, challenge for me. Uh, the great news is for me as an actor and a, a, a singer is that Jake and Gene captured it so beautifully. My, you know, my job really is to, to try and sing well what they have written. If I will do that, then I, I feel like I, I will uh, be true to, to Melville's telling uh, of this guy. It is so fun. This music is so incredible. And I'm not talking about just Ahab. I'm all, all week. We've been here rehearsing this for a week. And I am, I am so thrilled to hear, you know, Stephen Costello singing Greenhorn and, and Morgan Smith doing everybody's, everyone's part is so fantastic and you know it's uh i i feel that way because it's been a part of my life for, for uh, several years now but i hear all the time from people who are a part of the live audiences and also people who've seen it on the pbs broadcast or the dvd and it's just a remarkable piece and i, I feel like you know it's getting more and more momentum and more recognition it it's going to be around for a long time and what's the vibe in the rehearsal room like? Because apart from one part, it's basically all guys, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. We, we've got one we got one soprano tip. You know what? Here's the thing. I remember saying the first time I did it was in Australia. And and we were – I was talking to Leonard Foley, the director, and I said, I, I've just got a feeling that this is going to be one of the great chapters of my life. And it was true. And every time I've gotten to do it, it has been – the highlight, not only of my year, uh, but, you know, of my career. It, when we walk into that rehearsal room, everyone, you know, is just flying high, and we all feel so fortunate to be a part of the show. So the, the vibe is tremendous. It's, we're, all, we're all thrilled. And the audiences feel that way, too, when it's over. I mean, that's the great part. You know, in, in, in opera these days, when you, you hear, you get this kind of response from audience members who maybe are not, you know, long-term opera, opera fans. We've got a lot of newcomers that come because they, they love the book so much. So, you know, it's, it's good to be me when we're doing Moby Dick, man. It is, it's a real uh, highlight of my life. All right, let's take a look to the future a little bit and look into the crystal ball. So what do you think is going to be the next big thing in opera in America? Is there a composer, a singer, a director, a movement that is going to change this art form? Ooh, George, that's a big one, man. Um, you know what? I think what we've got to do, I think the most important thing we've got to do is we've got to put on good shows. You know, uh, we can do all of the, the fundraising and we can do all the special events to bring in newcomers and tr to try and, and, and get interest going. And we want to do all everything right. But the bottom line is we got to put on good shows. You know, it, uh, this is entertainment. This is showbiz. And people come, you know, to the theater to, you know, escape the 
the mundane of their life. They want to see something that's you know thrilling and compelling and makes them think. And so, you know, look, I, I'm going to leave the job of, uh, of predicting opera's future to others. I feel like for me and, and the people that, uh, that I work with every day, we've got to put on good shows. I'll, and I'll try and do my part. How about that? Well, Jay, I definitely think you're doing your part. All right, last question. This is a biggie. The Cubs are in the pennant game uh, series against the Dodgers right now. What's going to happen for the World Series? Cubbies going all the way? You know, at, at this point, I'm going to have to go with the Cubbies, man. They, maybe this is their year, right? Yeah, Jay, that's exactly what I want to hear. Hey, Jay Hunter Morris here on Opera Box Score. Really appreciate your time. My pleasure, George. That was a total blast to hang with him on the phone for a few minutes. Uh, I'm uh, <laughs> you're jealous, right? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not jealous, but I hope that people just listen to that interview and yeah. are as blown away as I was. You yeah. know, holy crap! There's a guy. Can I say that on the air? I don't know, but like, he cares. And what did he say there? What, what the future of America? I, he said very simply, "We got to put on good shows." Yeah. yeah. Opera's gonna survive, man, if we put on good shows. I have to tell you, Jay. Thank you for that interview. Um, I hope someday our paths cross. That was fantastic to listen to. But you know what? There is just so much genuine joy for what he's doing um, and for this art form. And that was just awesome. Also, something that I love that he acknowledged, George. I'm kind of going off the cuff here because my head is spinning. That was awesome. That was so awesome to listen to. Um, Was the vibe in the room for the rehearsals? Mm -hmm. That's such a thing. You know, when you, and that's why you have to be prepared. That's why you you care about how your preparation goes because as soon as you get there, you want to set the precedent. You want to be a part of the group that just pushes each other to get better and better and better because the better that the group sings, the better it is for the audience. He has a book out as well. It's called mm-hmm. Diary of a Rednecked Opera Zinger. Yes. And he stole all of my things that I was hoping to do, though. I know. I, well, I have, I have not read the book, so I, I can't comment on it, but it's, it's on the list now, definitely. I don't read fiction anyway. I mean, I read fiction when I read it to my kids, mm. but I only read nonfiction books like in bed, and this is, this is the next one on the list for me. It's because not going to hurt you. That was fantastic. Moby Dick is a Dallas opera. It opens November 4. If you are in the hood, if you are in the house, check it out. And let us know what you think at Opera Box Score. Hashtag Opera Balls. We're going to be right back. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. WNUR Evanston. And this is the best of WNUR programming. Only in the forest can you see this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. At 7, I shower. Every day I wake up For those caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community to help us better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. 
Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I don't believe it. My savings are gone. Okay, think. Where'd you have them last? I was home, then I spent them on that vacation in this tiny suit of armor. Now they're gone. Weird. Weird? Not really. Not saving now means no money later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas on ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Oh, I broke his little gauntlet. Oh, no. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you know in two minutes or less. Michigan Opera Theater opens its 2016 season with Bizet's Carmen this week, but it also represents the end of an era for opera in Detroit. Artistic director David DiCara is retiring. DiCara created the state's professional opera company in 1971 and has been its artistic director from day one until today. Placido Domingo has renewed his contract as general director of Los Angeles Opera through the 2021 season. Music is my life, quote, and my three-decade association with L.A. Opera has been one of the most rewarding aspects of my career, Domingo said. His positions within the company have included artistic consultant from 84 to 2000, then artistic director till 03, and general director till now. But wait, there's more. Domingo has arranged to give a concert next month in Havana. Next July should have seen the return of the Karl Orff Festival at Andesks and Amersee near the composer's grave. The festival, which ran annually from 1998 to 2015, had taken a year's break. And unfortunately now organizers have filed for bankruptcy due to poor ticket sales and due to other classical events. The Phantom of the Opera opened at Her Majesty's Theatre in London on the 9th of October 1986 with Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman in the leading roles. And there have been dozens of productions worldwide since then. Last week in London, the show celebrated its 30th anniversary. Finally, Anna Trebko will be making her Canadian debut in Toronto next April. She'll join Trio Magnifico, which includes her husband, tenor Yusuf Ayazov and Russian baritone Dmitry Vorostovsky. They'll sing opera arias, duets, and trios backed by the Canadian Opera Company Orchestra. That's the two-minute drill. Tobias Wright uh, on Opera Box Score with me. Hello, Tobias. Hello, George. So, um, what are you Hello, George. intrigued by? Did you watch Seinfeld? Hello, Newman. No, you know I don't watch TV. Okay, fine. Um, well, you know, you talk about Michigan Opera Theater and David Dakar, and, and I think... Some people will say, oh, it's not a big deal. Well, here's why it's a big deal. It's a big deal because there aren't a ton of really big opera houses in the United States, but Michigan Opera Theater is certainly one of them. And any time that a general director, artistic director, or someone in in that role um, retires, steps aside, what have you, that's a huge deal because that means that the survival and the future of that opera house is now going to be in someone else's hands. So I do think that's a big deal. And that's why we talk about Domingo with L.A. Go ahead, sorry. Well, Dekira is he's actually uh, an old friend of mine. The first opera I was ever in was at Michigan Opera Theater. Who was in that opera? I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to hear you say drink. <laughs> fans, fans of the show know. They can, okay, they can tweet okay. me. Okay. Hashtag. Some, we'll make something up. Use, use opera balls. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get back at you. Uh, but he's, he's just a lovely guy. Yeah. I spent the election night of 2008 with him. Having dinner with him and watching a final dress rehearsal of um, Giulio Cesare. That's fantastic. Can we just talk Th- politics? That's a cool story. At like some awesome supper club in downtown Detroit. Because <laughs> I'm from Ann Arbor originally, yeah. so I just drove in for the night. 
dinner, politics, saw a show. Lovely guy. That's D- great. Domingo's carrying on at L.A. Opera. I, I, I really have nothing to say about that. It looked like you did. I mean, uh, you know, it's a, it's a continuation of a great relationship. And uh, you look at L.A. under his, his leadership and what they've done, L.A. Opera, and they've grown and grown and grown. And they'll continue to do so. And I think it's awesome. Also, I think it's really cool that he's going to go sing in Cuba. Um, I love Domingo. And I think, actually, as you were speaking about Domingo, I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to go see him perform before yeah. he no longer. He's going to make the decision to no longer perform at some point. But he's kind right. of the ageless wonder, right? Yes. <clears throat> yes. Um, Here's what's really upsetting to me is that the Carl Orr <laughs> Festival has been canceled. Ah, darn. <laughs> Dude, you don't even get it, man. He, ah. You realize, of course, that he has written operas. Uh, yeah, of course, yes. Right? Del Monte, The Moon, Die Kluge, The Clever One. He wrote some fairy tale operas. And I've seen some of these. When I, when I was working at the Staatstheater Darmstadt, drink. drink yeah, yeah, I didn't hear it. <laughs> Uh, the intendant I'm hammered there, right now. I know, I know. Goodness. Dude. The intendant, this guy John Dew, had made it one of his life's missions to direct all of Orff's operas. Really? And the year I was there, Dermont was the final opera, and on opening night, he received a prize from the Carl Orff Foundation. Oh, that's kind of cool. And the opera is delightful. Chicago Opera Theater did Die Kluge a couple seasons ago, and it was fine. This, the music is fantastic. I mean, Carmina Burana is just marvelous music. Carmina Burana is pretty awesome. I mean, that's... <laughs> I love the drama of Carmina Burana. <laughs> you know what music is less awesome? That would be Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It's, it's oh, I think you mean Fanchula de Les? No. <laughs> I still remember when I saw Fanchula. Uh, Fanchula de Les is an opera by Puccini. Right. But if you see phantom of the opera and then go see fanchula you'll be like wait i've heard this music before and you have and that's because andrew lloyd weber stole it all so i yeah, have nothing to say here's about the thing opera. though is i'm not a hater of andrew lloyd weber the early stuff with tim rice evita jesus christ superstar, jesus christ superstar Joseph, yeah. love it i would direct that in a heartbeat phantom i i just don't see the attraction 30 I, years of crashing chandeliers dude I, what why okay but as all opera and i mean every opera singer can relate to how many times have you told someone, oh, I direct operas, and they, and I'm sure it happens to you, and they said, oh, do you ever direct Phantom of the Opera? It's happened. And as a singer, every time I'm like, oh, I sing opera to someone, and, you know, when they're like, oh, I'm an accountant and I make actual money, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a singer. Oh, do you do, I sing opera. Do you do Phantom of the Opera? No, I don't, because it's not an opera. Yeah. So that's the only reason that I was intrigued to talk about Phantom of the Opera, is to say it's not an opera. I, 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 I put my nose in the air. I, no, I take no. it you've, you've seen the show. Phantom of the Opera? Yeah. Oh, I own the DVD. No, I mean like seeing it in person. Never. Interesting. Okay. But I've done I've done shows with people who've been on the in, in the productions on Broadway. Okay. And, and they're super talented. Okay. Yeah. I've never seen it in person. Yeah. I mean it Do is I need a, to? Uh, you know, it is a show with a big S. Like there's some awesome oh, yeah. effects. You get some chills. You know, I just I just think the music on that show is blah. I have to go f- see Hamilton before that's, That's a whole other show, dude. Anna <laughs> Trebko making her Canadian debut. I, I mean, man, I have always been on Anna's case since this show started. Uh, You're an Anna hater. I'm not a hater, exactly. She's a she's a very attractive As woman. As the say. great philosopher of Rod Stewart once said, "No, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Haters gonna hate, 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 hate." Yeah. So that's okay. all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. 
Good for her, though. I mean, she's getting Vorostovsky, who's in a battle with cancer. Brain cancer. D- yeah. To, and, to but it's this, still but it's it. still singing. He's I mean, he's yeah. healthy enough to, to continue to do it. And I think that in and of itself is newsworthy because um, it would be I mean, it would be awful to lose someone in their prime. Yeah. To an awful disease. Yeah. You know? That would be a dark day. Definitely. For sure. Let's wrap the show up. Let's do it. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. been a nice hour my friend with you tobias it's been okay i look forward to my mondays and staring deeply into your eyes also george guess what i'm doing i'm going on vacation i know you're going on vacation <laughs> i know you're not around for the next week or so two weeks i think it is i'm gonna go stay i honestly have rented a log cabin in mountains good away from everything but i have a good call okay do you, you have should... a good call uh not really okay can i read my good call you can <clears throat> this is from oliver camacho Turn the tables on Opera Box Scores creative consultant Oliver Camacho, who is singing the role of Jonah in the 1649 Italian oratorio by Carissimi, The History of Jonas. Oliver will be swallowed and barfed up by the whale Friday in Winnetka and Saturday at Chicago Temple with Chicago Choral Artists. You can find more info on Chicago Choral Artists' Facebook page. Join me in wishing Oliver and the rest of the cast, like they do in Italy, in culo di balena, spero che non caghi. Well, do you know what that means? I do. I had to look it, it up. It means I love you. I hope everything goes well. Ish. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it. We'll leave it to the crew to to look it up. Do I have a good call or a bad call? Not really. We didn't talk too much Cubs on this show. Um, I'm 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 both. What are your thoughts? What's going to happen? Uh, I think the Cubs will make it to the World Series. I don't know if they're going to win, but I do think they'll make it to the World Series. That's bold. I hope they do. What do you think? I I, I think as a baseball fan, you have to be rooting for the Cubs. Because it's been so long. It doesn't matter if you hate Chicago. It's The team has... It's been over a century. It's time. Yeah. And they have a great team. Fans who seem to love them. And a city that wants to go nuts. Oh, my so. goodness. <sighs> yeah. That's just terrifying. It's there just were terrifying. fireworks, big fireworks that went off in my neighborhood last night, yeah. and they were losing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, when, when um, that Grand Slam was hit... This is game one, grand slam, mm-hmm. bottom of the eighth inning. Mm-hmm. That place must have just basically imploded. My roommate Ryan Strand was there, and he actually is a Dodgers fan. I'm going to call deaf. him out. He well, he <laughs> said it was incredible when it happened, and that, I mean, so he said it was pretty awesome. And then the, and everything after that too, because there was a home run right after that. Uh, Dexter Fowler. I don't know. That's, the place went bananas. That's so cool. I want the Cubs to win. That's all we got for tonight's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. For WNUR, our programming director is Nick Anderson and the general manager, Brock Stussy. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Search for Opera Box Score. Like our Facebook page, share our posts, and, of course, troll us. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a review, leave some stars, and let us know what you want to hear more of on our show. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera, especially down there in the Lone Star State of Texas, where everything really is bigger. We're back next Monday night at 9 p.m. Central when we go inside the huddle with Kim Whitman from Wolf Trap Opera and talk opera audition stats till we go insane. Don't miss it. Street Beat is up next with DJ Joe. You're listening to WNUR FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment.